Well, that takes us on to sort of the golden age musicals. Uh, now, these are shows that I think a lot of people have heard of, maybe know the scores of, like uh, Carmen Jones, uh, Lost in the Stars, and Golden Boy. Um, what can you tell us about black musical theater moving into the golden age? Well, during this period, it, uh, I guess, mu a black musical theater, I guess, comes in two forms. There's black authored musical theater, and right. there's there are musicals uh, about black uh, individuals or, or African-American life that are authored by white authors. Right. Uh, so as we were talking about earlier, there was this boom of black authored musicals in the 1920s and leading into the 30s. Uh, and then as we get into the golden age, as it's called, I, I just, I define the golden age as 1931 through 70. But so as we were getting into the golden age, however one chooses yeah. to define it, uh, we start to see the disappearance of black authored musicals. Hmm. Uh, and I think there, you know, there are a number of reasons Well, why do you that. think that is? Uh, well, First of all, uh, as we get into the 30s, we're in the Depression, the right. theater scene starts to contract. Sure. And, uh, you know, it, not uh, as a result of that, but tangentially throughout the 20s, prices are going, cost, uh, cost of production is going up. Right. Uh, so, you know, these, these three things uh, are serving to really contract the, the quote unquote Broadway stage into right. what it ultimately will become, you know, what it is, you know, now in terms of the modern. Broadway stage. Um, so, in, you know, a byproduct of that, is course, of course, is opportunity. So opportunity is, is narrowing. Um, I think uh, in terms of content and form, on the other side, it's, that is advancing. So you have a form that is maturing, there's a sophistication that's developing, um, there's a, an inventionist that is, um, being infused in terms of integration of, of dance into shows or uh, um, really sharp wit and, and social consciousness becomes a major uh, element uh, mm -hmm. when we enter mm -hmm. the 30s. Uh, and I think as a purely objective statement with no sort of uh, prescription as to why, looking at the black authored shows as we go into the 30s, most of them are not on the forefront of this burgeoning form or this advancing form. Right. Most of right. them are um, as written, again, this is sort of an objective assessment of the shows as written, uh, are of the more prescriptive 1920s floor show variety. Right. Right. Uh, so I think, and uh, now uh, that, that being objective, I think the subjective element is, you know, one, the social dynamics of the country did not offer tremendous opportunity to these black artists to be able to uh, mature their craft or to be able sure. to advance in the way that, you know, Oscar Hammerstein had his, you know, his own personal heritage, but then he was under the tutelage of Otto Harbach. So there was right. this, you know, I mean, that's one specific instance, but there was this um, right. line, this lineage that was not, there in in terms of or not there was not necessarily opportunity for it for these right. black there was no infrastructure for a black authored music right right so that i think that that sort of stunts the progression of black 
musical theater in a way through, mm -hmm. you know, not through the fault of the artists ne themselves necessarily, um, but there's, you know, there's this, um, the, this lack of opportunity. And then as the form is advancing, you want writers who are going to advance the form. And uh, so I, I think there's many things at, at play and not sort of one specific instance, but well, it becomes is, is a world also of the love. rise of the Chitlin circuit. You know, is this this uh, would have been? Yeah, I feel like that was well because this was vaudeville. That would have been circa nineteen twenties. I want to say. Okay. Okay. Um, but I don't have the specific dates on that. But it would have. No, been no. I'm just wondering if if it's one of those things where it starts to develop outside of Broadway. Um, oh, interesting. Um, well, I mean, the, I, 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 there were attempts, uh, and I think there was, there was a. A, a black musical theater outside of Broadway, sure. um, but it you know it the uh, it it was not prominent, and even in the late twenties there there was an article by I think it's Irvin Miller who's the brother of Floynoy Miller of oh. Miller and Lyles mm -hmm. I believe it's him I I, I would want to check to be certain but it, it was a a prominent black artist I believe it was Irvin Miller who uh, even in the late 20s was acknowledging the fact that black musicals are not up to snuff as it were. And oh, really? so hmm. black audiences would rather patronize a white musical or a white musical house as opposed to supporting quote unquote black musicals because, you know, it, I mean, a number, again, a number of factors went into that in terms of not having resources or right. time or, you know, um, but essentially the, the black musical theater was not, advancing in the way it should as acknowledged by the artists actually working in it right um so even you know when you get into the 30s and 40s there are still uh black musicals and there's black musical theater and um to, to keep pointing back to to miller actually floynoy miller and ub blake um mm -hmm. there was a show called tan manhattan 19 he was either 40 or 41 uh, i believe it started in dc uh that was they had they were promoting it as being the next shuffle along, you know, the, the new shuffle sure. along, the greatest thing in 20 years. Right. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't reach New York because it's not, yeah. uh, you know, it, it is just, it's still of this um, 1920s right. Uh, right. prescription, you know. So for better or worse, again, not, yeah, no assessment right. on the quality, obviously, of, or the talent of the, the individuals. Um, but um, it just, as a, as a musical piece, it did not, um, it was not advancing in the way that the musical stage in general was. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the, the, the majority of musicals about African-American life start to be written by white authors. And so you have, I, the one that I think, uh, or I really point to as sort of a, a major beginning of that, um, this, you know, it's, that's obviously not a uh, definitive beginning, uh, but is Porky and Bess. Sure. Uh, which is 1935. Sure. Uh, and then, and then we have the, the some of you know the shows that are uh, in the exhibit. Actually, Carmen Jones is right. Oscar Hammerstein, and Hazard Short. I'll mention the director, who's a genius and and visionary. Agreed. And totally forgotten. Yes. Um, and then Lost in the Stars, which is Maxwell Anderson, Kurt Vile, and Ruben Mamoulian, who was also connected right. to Hammerstein, okay. incidentally. Sure. Sure. Uh, and then, and Golden Boy, which is Strauss and Adams and a whole bunch of people because it was having great difficulty on the road. But, right. um, you know, so these are, you know, sh and some of them are, are 
quite um, both quite good and really um, aspirational. I think Lost in the Stars, for one, I don't find it to be a wholly successful show, but I think it's really thoughtful and very um, seriously executed. Right. Um, right. If not, you know, a you know, it doesn't work in toto, I think it's really a serious attempt. Right. Um, which I, for which I have great respect. Um, but then I think on the other hand, you have, you move towards, you know, Golden Boy is not a, a bad show by any means, but it's, you know, it just is much more troubled. Well, uh, I think you, uh, in both the cases of Lost in the Stars and Carmen Jones, you have white uh, uh, creative team who are really anxious to do the right thing. They may not know how to do it and why they don't actually bring in black people to help them do it is uh, another question. Um, but they definitely were interested in, I mean, Hammerstein had been a failure for essentially a decade before Oklahoma he becomes a huge success. And the first thing he does is an all black Carmen. It just seems like such a wild thing for him to do. Um, Quick interjection. Yeah. Carmen Jones was actually written before Oklahoma. No, no, I understand that. Oh, okay. I understand that. Got it. Okay. But uh, that it gets produced. I mean, he can right, do right, anything right. The first, he wants. The, the next what uh, production of, of Hammerstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, I mean, what does he want to do? Uh, he, he wants to do this. And Billy Rose, of course, is, says Oscar Hammerstein's doing it. It's going to be great. Uh, whereas a year ago, he, he could have pitched it and Billy Rose would have said, that is insane. You know, right. so. Um, I, again, why he wants to do that? I think he he wants he wants to tell the story. He wants to shine a light into the black community, and and uh, you know he did a lot of work both in Hollywood and in, and on the East Coast to deal with uh, uh, racial tensions. You know they were also very anti-fascist. You know anti-racist. You know he led organizations that were that were about that. Um, you know, uh, out in Bucks County, he would join the with Pearl Buck and starting Welcome House to bring in uh, uh, Mary Asian children and, and Asian children to be adopted in this country. So he, I mean, I think he was very sincere, but it just it's just amazing to me that these white guys would think, let's do these black shows and not bring in any black creative people to help them realize their vision. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. I think the one of the answers, or one of the potential answers, is it was a different time. Of course. I think, yeah, um, but uh, it is, it is a question that will linger. I mean, it's what what I find so incredible is that all these voices uh, of black uh, cartoon characters are all of a sudden now being recast because you know, in light of all the demonstrations there's feeling like, oh, we have to have black people do these. And it's like, why wouldn't you have black people do those in the first place? I mean, it just doesn't seem, it seems bizarre that you would have white people doing black characters in an animated series like The Simpsons. Just crazy. In this day and age. Yeah, in this yeah. day and age, yeah. right. Because uh, these are not insensitive people. But, you know, it's just, there it is. That's the way of the industry. You know, doesn't consider the 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 black actor or the black designer or the black director. You know, for I mean, for years, if you wanted a black director on Broadway, it was Lloyd Richards. Like he was yeah, like yeah. the guy. And you and now you know, George Wolf. 
And now, or not now, but post him, I, George Wolf. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And that to me, I mean, you have other people, you have Billy Wilson and, and people like that, but uh, uh, it is amazing to me that there's such an inherent uh, um, prejudice against uh, black creative people in the theater uh, and, and across the board in the entertainment world. And all, I mean, I, I think also the, I would, I, I would keep pointing to opportunity too. Cause I think also it's, you know, it starts with um, education and access to the entertainment world. Absolutely. So that, you right. know, so there is, yeah, yeah. And I just feel like there's, uh, it, I, I, I can't speak to the, what to the state now, you know, or, and, and, uh, and more recently as, as uh, we're changing. Um, but certainly in the period in which we're discussing and general sort of mid and, and even into the later 20th century, I do think it's the, you know, it's uh, access to opportunity. And then later when we start, especially on the playwright side, and, and we'll talk about it later, but the Joe Papp and other smaller institutions start to give opportunity to young playwrights. And then we see more, um, a bit more uh, African-American authors. Well, I mean, so let's talk about something like the Negro Ensemble Company, mm -hmm. you know, which was such an, a crucial uh place for black playwrights black directors black actors to really hone their craft mm -hmm. and 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 they start to take shows to broadway um i mean they're they're down at the saint mark's uh, playhouse mm -hmm. uh and uh it's it's douglas turner ward who writes an article he's in but they're i forget what show they're doing down there and the times asks him to write a piece on the state of black theater in America. And when he writes this piece, the Ford Foundation, and, and one of the things he talks Robert about- Robert Cooks, I think. No, no, it's Robert Douglas Cooks Turner Ward. Oh, no, it's, okay. it's Ward. It's Ward who wrote the Hooks. piece. And he, uh, at least as I read it, maybe, uh, maybe I have it wrong, no, but no, I'm no, pretty no. sure it was Ford. And uh, after he writes it, the Ford, you know, he writes this article where it talks about having a black repertory theater and the Ford Foundation comes to him. Uh, what is this like? Sixty-five, I think. And uh, yeah, um, says we'll, we'll we'll underwrite it. You know, which is an amazing thing. Uh, you know, I, I doubt we'd see that today, but it's it's because of that that they get the money to start the Negro Ensemble Company, which is certainly uh, the biggest. It seems to me the biggest incubator for Black theater makers in the second half of the twentieth century. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I because uh, uh, I mean, so many playwrights, performers, directors, and designers come out of. I mean, the Negro Ensemble companies a part of their resume, a part of where they got their start, um, because it didn't exist before. I mean, you got you had the Lafayette Players and the Lafayette Theater and all that. Um, American Negro Theater. Yeah. 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 The Amer yeah. But it really, it's, it's the Negro Ensemble seems to really play a very important role. It, it, but feel free to disagree with me. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't, I, 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 no, I don't, I don't disagree. I, I don't, uh, I, I think very, totally, I totally agree. Very important role. I don't know. I would say if I would say the, 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 uh, I don't know if I would put most on it, but the, um, but indeed, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the, the the other major players I think are the public theater and Joe yeah. Papp. 
who yeah. is very supportive of minority writers, both black and female, and black females. Right. Um, and and then I think later Playwrights Horizons too, um, right. starts to to develop. I think um, new. You know, um, I'm trying. As I as I was as you were talking, and as I'm now speaking, I'm trying. I'm going through my Rolodex of of you know origins. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm trying to I'm like I'm like oh wait where was it where was it who was there who was there. Well, and and um, that's. You have to come up, you start thinking about everybody's resumes and where shows right, work. Right. I, I know how that is. Um, um, but certain, no, certainly the Negro Ensemble Company, you know, and the, it, um, the same year that they started, uh, there was, it's a small organization, but I, um, it, called Urban Arts Corps, uh, oh, yeah. which was part of the ghetto arts program of the New York State Council on the Arts. This is Vinette Carroll's organization. Right. Um, and to my mind, uh, she is one of the most instrumental forces in terms of the black resurgence of, of uh, in her case, principally musical theater, but then also, uh, you know, the black theater, generally right. speaking, toward the end of the civil rights movement and then going into the 70s. Um, because she, you know, she has the Urban Arts Corps, which is geared toward, um, fostering the talent and training individuals who are basically high school and college age. Right. Um, and, uh, and I think, which is wonderful on its own, I think even more significant than that is her success as a black female director um, in the 60s and going into the 70s, and also her fostering of a couple major musical pieces uh which are part of this black revival don't bother me i can't cope is right. uh hers and, and with score by mickey grant so i'm not gonna you know let's not yeah. discount mickey grant but it's vanette carroll who is the driving force on that sure. as she is uh, on your arms too short um, right and she really starts in the 60s even early 60s before um before negro ensemble uh before there's really a resurgence of black uh theater generally speaking um, certainly black musical theater uh, with uh, this with trumpets of the Lord uh, her um, James Weldon Johnson oh well this this goes ties it back James right. Weldon Johnson yeah. adaptation um, and, and when was that when was that show it started it started off Broadway in I believe 63 mm. and then it did not go anywhere uh, well I mean it went on a small tour I believe and I believe they played overseas but it didn't land on Broadway until I want to say 69. It might be 68, but it was right. 69, which is when, you know, cause um, late sixties is when the, the really commercial, that, that's a better word for it. When the commercial black resurgence started right. because you had in 67 Merrick, David Merrick producer brought uh, Pearl Bailey and the all right. black right. Dolly uh, to the, the, their Broadway house. Right. Um, you had Robert Hooks in Hallelujah Baby that year. Yeah, sure. Uh, who would then leave to do, as you mentioned, Negro Ensemble Company. Um, uh, and then, you know, then after that, you have you have hair coming out, uh, not yeah. by black authors, but but a, you know, a right. social movement. Um, and Vinette Carroll is then on Broadway. I think it's 69 when Trumpets actually makes it to Broadway. Um, sure. And then I think it's either one or two years later, she's back with Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope, which becomes really a massive um, 
a massive hit, a massive right. black musical, um, not, you know, without dissecting the, the fundamentals of it, just on, you know, on its face, it is a commercial, a major commercial success, as is Melvin right. Van, Van right. Peebles' piece, um, which comes out, I think, the same year, I want to say. Um, might be, you know, give or take one year. Right. Um, right. But anyway, so Vinette, I, I, you know, Vinette Carroll is, I think, a really, a, a, um, as in terms of a, a single individual, really a, 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 an instrumental force. Um, uh, certainly not, not the, you know, she didn't have the uh, organizational hold as, as the Negro Ensemble Company, which, right. you know, um, you know um, launched a number of writers and moved to Broadway a number of times. And, and, right. and, and Joe Papp as well, who, you know, right. had... Um, uh, well, they had organizations, they had very good yeah. institutional support and organizational support. And I think that made all the difference. I mean, the Negro Ensemble Company, I don't think they bring it to Broadway, but it's a big off-Broadway hit, the musical um, The Great Mac Daddy. Uh, yes, Circle 75, which, with which I was not deeply familiar, I must, I must confess. Oh, really? Uh, so it was, interesting to, it was interesting to read about that. Um, and, and, uh, a couple, and I haven't, um, uh, no, I mean, this is totally not relevant, but I, I, I there's That's another what we're show all about that, here. Not relevant. <laughs> not relevant. Yes. There's another show that, uh, your exhibition turned me on to, which I was not aware of, which is an Ed Bullens musical. Oh, called, no kidding. Called Sepia Star. So wow. I have no idea what that is, but I look forward to investigating it. <laughs> That's money in the bank. You get to go there sometime, take it out and see what it is. No, well, uh, Poland is another important figure who comes out of, uh, again, a, a, a political climate. You know, he at one time is the Minister of Culture for the Black Panther Party. Uh, um, he gets involved with the Black Arts Movement and becomes really sort of the best known playwright to come out of that. It's sort of the most articulate um, one to come and out. And yet perhaps one of the least remembered. Oh yeah. Coincidentally, you know, doesn't, doesn't, life, you know, do, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, but doesn't, doesn't, um, um, he's someone that I, I uh, uh, was learning about as a result of, of the exhibit. So I was, I was, uh, I, I can't, I can't speak with any definition about his whole story, but uh, I was interested to learn his trajectory, his history, and then the fact that he never really, uh, at least seemingly on, on paper, never really broke through uh, in the way that some of his contemporaries ultimately uh, did during that same period. Right, right. I, I, I think, In terms of I prominence. Mean, right, exactly. I mean, he has, he's sort of always been on the fringes. But I think you also pointed out that it's fascinating that he and August Wilson uh, yes, yes. both do these cycles of 20th, 20th century, century African-American experience yeah. uh, and uh, the cycle of plays. And while I haven't seen any of Bullen's, of course, I've seen a number of uh, August Wilson's, um, there's obviously a, a feeling that this needs to be addressed. You know, the story of the, uh, of the black people in the 20th century, it, and, and in a way, that's what the great MacDaddy is also talking about. I mean, it's doing it in a musical in way. In apparently a much more obtuse and sort of <laughs> yes. um, fa fantastical way, based well, on what I've read. <laughs> any show that has Staggerly in it and the signifying monkey, and uh, that's okay in my book. I'm all for it. <laughs> oh, good. okay. 
<laughs> Revival coming soon. <laughs> yeah, it has been revived. You know, it has been revived. Um, well, the other Negro Ensemble uh, uh, company uh, shows, just so we can sort of tie a bow on that, that we have in the exhibition are uh, Douglas Turner Ward when he was in the Brownsville Raid. Um, and uh, I don't know the Brownsville Raid, but we included that draw excuse me, uh, because it was Douglas Turner Ward, who I think is just such an important figure in the story. He's not the, he's not the only figure, and I'm sure he has perhaps a higher uh, uh, opinion of his involvement than everybody else, but he does play a very significant role. Um, and then the, the other drawing we have from the Negro Ensemble Company is Home with uh, Charles Brown and... Uh, um, L. Scott Caldwell. Right. And Michelle Shea. Michelle Shea. Uh, Who later does of, Wilson. Yeah. What was that? Who later does a Wilson play. Oh, no kidding. Oh, right, right, right. Of course. Uh, so, I mean, it's, um, it's interesting to me. They are, uh, you know, it takes them years to be bringing shows regularly to Broadway. Um, but there's an audience, obviously, there. Uh, home plays, I think, for two years. It's, it's, it has a pretty decent run. Um, and again, it tells a story that is a uniquely black story, as opposed to, you know, Anna LaCosta was a sort of switch out from, it's a black family, it's a Polish American family, what difference does it make? Uh, whereas what the Negro Ensemble Company is doing are specifically plays mm -hmm. about the black experience. Um, and no, I think, go ahead. I think we should add, not to qualify though, one over the other, Right, one right. scenario uh, over the other. Yeah, right, yeah. right. No, I'm. Uh, I'm just saying it is. It's un it, 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 Unfortunately, it's unusual. Uh, when we look at 20th century American theater, we, you know, we need to talk about it only because if they weren't doing it, while there were other companies that were doing it, they were maybe the biggest company doing it, and they had the most success as a hmm. company. As a company. Um, but that's not to say that there weren't others and 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 very important figures. Um, like Ed Bullens, August Wilson, who, um, Ed Bullens is an, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, uh, doesn't come out of the Negro Ensemble Company, but I believe August Wilson does a playwright workshop there. Oh, interesting. Uh, so I think that there's, so they, they have a connection to a lot of the black performers, that more, more in straight plays than in musicals per se. But uh, they're, they're a real, uh, as I said, incubator for that uh, on Broadway, off-Broadway, and the American theater in general. Right, right. Um, I want to also talk about the, the music. You know, the, in the 1970s, things are changing. Uh, you know, all across Broadway, um, there's this embrace of nostalgia, you know, which manifests itself in No, No, Nanette. And you know the revivals of that, and the revival and of four hundred and fifty-two other revivals, yes. <laughs> and, and even the new musicals of the decade. You know, you yeah, get Greece. Yeah, right, yeah, Greece. Yeah. I mean, and over I, there. Yeah, or no, over I, here, rather, over here. Uh, right. I mean, it's uh, uh, it is amazing, and and I think there's a lot of factors. You know, uh, the the ongoing uh, Vietnam War. The economic issues, you get the oil crisis. People want to go back to a time when they felt was a better time, and they embrace this nostalgia. Um, which is, which, funnily, uh, 
which has a little mirror of the 20s yes. and into the 30s too, because there's this, there's this wave of revivals in the 20s. The Schubert's are part of some of them, but I remember there's a, a Babes and Victor Herbert operettas are being revived yeah. amidst the jazz, you know, the jazz age yes. is going mad. And, and then there's a, a, a very successful revival of Floridora from oh. 1900. Right. So it's, it's in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so uh, um, what is interesting, though, in, in the 70s is how does it manifest itself in sort of uh, for black theater? Um, Billy Wilson, uh, the director, um, um, is, is a very decent success with bubbling uh, uh, brown sugar um, with Vivian Reed. And what does he choose? Nostalgia piece, too. Yes, exactly. Exactly. What does he choose as his next project? But guys and dolls which just sort of blows my mind because you don't ex when we think i mean it's not a white person's show but everybody it's always done that way and so when i came across the drawing of uh, the black guys and dolls i was astounded i i didn't know if it was a joke at first i i didn't i, I so i had to research it i was fascinated by it and of course, it's 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 got an it's an incredible production. Oh my god! It has I all would the great have people. Love to have seen that, yeah. Robert. I think is it pronounced Guillaume? I'm I can't I'm not I don't want to mispronounce his name, but the the lead actor oh, uh, was well known Catherine on television. Say it again. Uh, Robert uh, Guillaume. Is that how it is? I would say Guillaume, but Guillaume. That's what Guillaume. I said, but I don't. I could yeah. be totally wrong. No, no, I think I, I think you're say. right. I would say Guillaume. Yeah. Um, and he is just. I I love him. I would have loved to have seen him in that. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, I would have loved to have seen him as Sporting Life in Porgy and Bess in '64. Mm. Uh, another great role that he played. And uh, um, interesting. I didn't love him in Pearly. Oh, but really? that's just that could be just me. I I speak only for myself. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Well, there's going to be a certain uh, contingent uh, who listens to this, who grew up in the 70s and early 80s, who will remember him as uh, he's a, a but he's like a butler on soap, yeah, yeah. this uh, this TV show, and then eventually gets his sort of own show, yeah. um, and that's how most of America really sort of discovered him. But he'd already been around, obviously, for a while. Right. Um, but the uh, I, we've got to give it to the f people at Frank Lesser, uh, probably Joe Sullivan Lesser, for allowing a Black Guys and Dolls, which are hardly revolutionary, but very unusual uh, for the time. Um, yeah. In and the, one of the other big uh, nostalgia, Black theater-wise uh, productions in the 70s is this little review that the Manhattan Theater Club puts together uh, for five performers and use primarily the music of Fats Waller that turns into an incredible hit uh, called Ain't Misbehavin'. Yes. A potentially fun fact. Uh, I, <laughs> Richard, Richard, but I say potentially. Yeah. Uh, it may not be fun. But uh, uh, Richard Maltby, who conceived and put that show yeah. together, who is white, just right. since we're talking colors here, let's just, sure, uh, sure. We should just voice that. Um, neither here nor there, not, a, not yes. an assessment. Um, I was speaking with him at one time about uh, just, you know, generally and, and specifically then about this show. And you had said a, a small show for five or you said yeah. a show for five performers. 
And I believe, Richard, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he told me that they had initially conceived the show for four performers. And then when they were in auditions, these two women came in and he couldn't decide uh, between <laughs> them. So he made it a five performer piece. Wow. Oh, no kidding. And that doesn't include Luther Henderson on the piano. Oh, uh, genius, arranger, who yeah, was also yeah. on No No Nanette, who did the yeah. George C. Wolfe musicals later. Brilliant, yeah, yeah. just a brilliant yeah, gentleman. No, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, but he is sort of like uh, the guy you don't hear about with Ain't Misbehaving. The drawing we have in the show, although Hirschfeld did draw the original 1978 production, it was part of a composite with other shows opening that week. So we chose the 1988 revival, which in, was, was the original cast. And, um, I, you know, he would not only do that uh, cast drawing, but he did these uh, Friday theater column drawings. And so Ken Page, Nell Carter, Amela uh, McQueen are all uh, shown in those as well, individual portraits of the performers. Um, it's obviously something that he enjoyed and, of course, was a big hit. I mean, it was a, it's a very big hit. Major hit, yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, a show that's looking back rather than necessarily looking forward. Yeah, oh, totally, yeah. yeah. A, a, uh, a melding of the nostalgia and the black uh, right. 70s resurgence, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Timbuktu, I don't know if there's a drawing of it. I know it's not in the oh, exhibit, yeah, but sure. the kit in Timbuktu. And... Uh, in fact, the Hirschfeld drawing would be used as the program cover. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Great one. Yeah, no, uh, a Hirschfeld drawing, uh, I say in the, um, in the introduction to the show, Hirschfeld did about 50 show posters over 60 years, probably more than anybody else who wasn't doing it, you know, specifically. And uh, his first one was for Swing in the Dream with Louis Armstrong, showing Louis Armstrong and Benny Goodman uh, playing while Shakespeare dances above them. And his last one was Having Our Say. Uh, with two uh, older black uh, uh, actress, actresses. Um, and so it, to me, it's, we, we don't think of Hirschfeld as the artist that you would go to, but he was frequently, when Carmen Jones went on the road, they used the Hirschfeld drawing on the cover of the program. Uh, I don't know you how You were saying something other... also about, um, um, you had told me, Duke Ellington, I think, did you say? He oh, did yeah. The... The, um... We have a story on our website where, um, uh, where in 1931, uh, Duke Ellington was um, going on his first national tour and his management realized that to place a photograph of a black performer in a Midwest newspaper was going to be very difficult. So they thought if they had Hirschfeld do a drawing of Duke Ellington, everybody would want to run that, not because he was Hirschfeld, but because the drawings were engaging. And they wrote in the press kit that these are drawings that met major metropolitan newspapers, i.e. white, uh, ran. And it was very successful. I mean, the drawing was run much, much more than any of the photographs provided. And in fact, uh, so much so that other artists would copy Hirschfeld's drawing. Uh, it, it is... Um, uh, I don't want to say he had, he was some, uh, we, we, we don't want to make any crazy claims for Hirschfeld, uh, but he did play his own role and he would play a role. He would have his input into the black 
theater experience in America because his drawings were so often a part of them. You know, these big productions like Timbuktu, like Carmen Jones, uh, like Having Our Say, uh, and all these different shows that he did posters and programs for um, became part of the black theater experience in America. Um, I want to talk about a couple of other ones. Um, you know, we, 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 we touched on Joe Papp, but we really didn't talk about the public theater. And uh, I don't think you can tell the story of uh, black uh, theater history in America without talking about For Colored Girls. Um, that, that was such an important show all the way around. You know, I think for the people in it and for the people who saw it and it too would go to Broadway and be a much bigger hit, you know, much bigger hit than even the other big shows of that time. It opens the same season as a Neil Simon show and I forget what else, but it it runs longer than all those. Uh, and Herschel does, I think, an incredible drawing that sort of re shows us all the performers, but doesn't reveal any of the the story, but it gives you a sense of what the performance was like. Mm -hmm. I think interesting uh, 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 to your point about the significance of it, I find it also telling that uh, a number of critics or commentators would in their uh, stories, articles, or reviews, whatever uh, the respective mode was, reference a chorus line, right. uh, which, had, uh, which had opened uh, just prior to that. Right. Um, uh, so that, I mean, just in terms of the, how mammoth or significant uh, the piece was. Right, right. Well, and the other show that we have in the exhibition uh, that is also a public theater production is No Place to Be Somebody, which we considered uh, for a title of the uh, exhibition. Um, this was a drawing that Hirschfeld did not do when the show was uh, in its original run. In, uh, which was in 1967. Uh, in 1973, Brooks Atkinson and Hirschfeld collaborated on a book called The Lively Years, where Atkinson looked back over the last 50 years of American theater and talked about the plays that were significant, that really captured the zeitgeist and you know, deserved to be remembered. And one of those was No Place to Be Somebody. Hirschfeld uh, um, went to his drawings that he did for some of these productions originally. And if he liked them, he just put those in the book. But he did over 50 new drawings for the book, including this one of uh, Nathan George in No Place to Be Somebody. It's the logo. It's the, it's the signature image for the show. Um, and, and I think it's the first time a black writer uh, wins the Pulitzer. For drama mm. um so you know it's uh, the public theater joe pap did a, a, was a uh was this w white uh producer who would end up having a, a pretty big impact on black theater a major impact yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and champion definitely. of playwrights in particular yes i think yeah and, and from all from all cultures I mean, uh, he he brings in so much. Uh, he brings in a much more international flavor, but he also makes sure that the Latinx community is represented, uh, that women are represented, that people of color are represented. Uh, it's so unusual because there hadn't been anything like quite like that before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's um, uh, something that I was recently researching 
tangential to this, not, uh, it's not in the exhibition, and, and I don't know if you have a image of it, but um, the, the, uh, his first, I think it was his first season when he took over at Lincoln Center. And he was bringing uh, New York Shakespeare Festival up to Lincoln Center. Sure. Uh, and, and the season didn't go well, as I understand it. Uh, I think the last production or the, the, the spring production was supposed to be this black uh, quasi-musical. I don't remember exactly what they called it, but it was a play that had a band in it, uh, but called Black Picture Show, mm. um, which really fascinated me, uh, written by Bill Gunn, uh, which ultimately he, he ended up pulling. And he right. substituted something else there and then um, brought it back. I think it was the next, the next uh, winter, like a, you know, a year later. Um, but uh, it, I guess I found that particularly interesting in that um, uh, it just further supported his nurturing and belief in playwrights and diversity and sort of the, and, and getting people's voices out there, no matter where the location was, because he had, you know, these, uh, plans for Lincoln Center Theater, um, sure. and he brought this, you know, downtown production up to what was effectively a downtown production sure. uptown to to Lincoln Center. Uh, and I, I there's a a very interesting uh, article I was reading uh, interview with him talking specifically about the difference between downtown and uptown. And I can't remember if it was related to this particular show or if it was talking generally about. Um, you know, uh, downtown being a place to, to grow and a, a different type of environment and uptown needing stars. Uh, right. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to misquote him, but it was a very interesting uh, sort of assessment and, and spoke to his vision and what, you know, how he was actually nurturing and, and workshopping and developing this um, robust group of talent, both black, white, female, you know, yeah. a, a multi, uh, rather diverse body of uh, artists. No, without a doubt. Well, you know, Lincoln Center would, uh, he couldn't conquer it, but neither could Ilya Kazan and Arthur Miller and Robert Whitehead. The first 15 years of Lincoln Center Theater is uh, a series of mistakes. And it's, it's so funny to see it. And then Greg Mosier takes over and within a few years, he's got the revival of Anything Goes mm -hmm. and then House of Blue Leaves. And it's, I mean, it makes it a going concern. Um, but uh, um, yeah, Joe Papp was uh, defeated by Lincoln Center, like so many had been before. <laughs> but speaking of Lincoln Center, the last piece in the show, and I want to talk about, uh, uh, there's three sort of more contemporary musicals, but since we're talking about Lincoln Center Theater, we might as well talk about the last uh, piece in the show, which is a, a Lincoln Center Theater production of Marie Christine, starring the incomparable Audra McDonald. Who is uh, that? What was that? I'm not familiar with her. Uh, uh, Audra? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who her? Who her? Oh, um, that Audra McDonald. Yeah. That one. Uh, and of course, she had, uh, I think, really come into people's consciousness. I mean, first uh, Masterclass, but then the Carousel production was... Also one. Lincoln Center, incidentally. Yeah, no. I remember seeing it and just being, I mean... That was a real revelation. You're going along and it's a, it's a different type of production of Carousel in the first place. And then she comes out and blows everybody away. And you're like, who is this? Right. Uh, so five years later, when they, she's in a show that was written for her, uh, Marie Christine, it was pretty exciting. And uh, uh, while the show isn't 100% successful, 
it wasn't her problem. It, it wasn't her fault that it wasn't successful. It was a, it's a, it is a good musical, not a great musical. Hmm. I guess is what I would put it. Um, but Audra, of course, would go on to become the most, uh, in, in many ways, the most awarded performer in Broadway history. You know, having won, I think she's won like six Tonys, uh, performance Tonys, and she's won in all four categories, acting categories. You know, best actress in a musical, best actress in a play, best actress, uh, I forget all the ones that she's won, but she's won them all. Um, it's probably a shorter list to tell you what she didn't win. Um, uh, but, uh, and he, uh, Hirschfeld only drew Audra twice. Um, in this role, Marie Christine, which was never published by the New York Times. We don't know why. They commissioned it. He did the drawing. It's, one can only, needs to go to the exhibition and look at the drawing. It's, an, it's a very nice drawing. But for whatever reason, they didn't run that. Um, the other drawing he did of Audra is in uh, Ragtime. Um, she is not in the drawing of Carousel uh, from 94. Who is? Uh, the, the two leads. Um, Aiden and Sally. Sally um, yes. Oh, my God. I'm forgetting her last name. Right. Murphy. Sally Murphy. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to say Sally Mays, but that would have been totally wrong. That's another one. <laughs> Malfi again. <laughs> no. Um, uh, but then the other shows, uh, and perhaps you can tell us uh, more about it, um, is uh, Grind, um, the Hal oh, Prince uh, um, show. Uh, Grind fascinates me, but I'm, I, I... Uh, I, and I've not read the, the book, so I, I can't uh, speak to the actual libretto, but I suspect if slash when I do read the libretto, uh, I will be disappointed. Um, <laughs> but, the, you know, the, some of the score... Evidently, I, a lot of theater audiences were. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, it was apparently not a, a good show, you know. Right. But um, the, the, some of the score I enjoy, I will say. Um, but it, essentially, it is set in 1930s, 1933, I believe, Chicago in a burlesque house. Right. Um, and deals with, uh, you know, it's, it's a, essentially a race musical. So it's right. dealing with a segregated a burlesque house. Um, and then there, I believe there's a love triangle, triangle involved. Um, right. And uh, so it, it just, as I understand it, it's not wholly a successful piece. Um, and and uh, I, I will say I did not see it, uh, so I, right. I can't speak directly to the Neither production. Have I. Um, and it's one of Hal Prince's failures in the 1980s. In the 80s, yeah. I think for me, the most interesting, or maybe not the most interesting piece about it, but something interesting about it is um, actually not even the racial aspect. It's the Hal Prince aspect and um, reinforcing the fact that he was one of the progenitors or one of the sort of um, uh, at, at the forefront of this uh, mega musical craze oh, yes. that, that happened in the 80s. Because, uh, you know, it starts, uh, I shouldn't say it starts, but his, his, um, his concept of theater as metaphor and his, con his sort of very, um, um, and, and the breadth of his physical productions right. begins in the 70s. And, um, and, and then, of course, in the 80s, it is, you know, taken to an extreme then later by a lot of the Weber shows, Trevor Nunn, uh, et cetera. 
Um, but I think one of the things that was so interesting uh, in reading um, about Grind was the commentary on the physical production and the elaborateness of the uh, of the set design and sort of uh, it it ended up sort of the uh, it ended up being a a a, a, a uh, uh, an example of the result of sort of the expansiveness that happened in the seventies and this quest to be bigger and bigger. Um, and then sort right. of the, the uh, story seems to have gotten lost in that um, apparently very elaborate and stunning maze of a, of a set. Well, I tell a story um, in the Hirschfeld century. Um, I think this is maybe the only time. Hirschfeld gets an assignment to draw Starlight Express, mm. you know, which to me is sort of the apex of overblown production. You know where where you could have had you could have had automatons in there. It could have been in the, a Disney show for that. You know, with the animatronics. You know, uh, because you weren't going. You were going there for the set and the production and you know the songs that could come out of it. But it, you know, it's it's a crazy over the top production. Hirschfeld goes to the show, and then calls up his editor the next day and says, "I declined to do that one." <laughs> you know, it wasn't oh, really? it, it wasn't for him, and uh, it never. I can't think of any other time where that happened. Uh, he turned out to be right because no one else really wanted to do with it, deal with it. I mean, the, the show has a very short run in New York. Um, so he, he understood that it wasn't any good, um, at least in what was presented in America. Can't say what was going on in England, but what was presented in America. Uh, so that excess, you know, and he was, he was very um, skeptical, I would say, of the lavish, the over-the-top presentation, you know, falling chandeliers and helicopters landing on stage. That didn't do anything for Hirschfeld. I found a, uh, an interview in the mid-90s where he, he, he talks about this. You know, you don't need that. You know, he talks in bring, bring in the noise, bring in the funk. He's like, that's all you need. You need performers and uh, a great show. And, uh, you, you know, he was happy to see that it was going back to simplicity because he thought that the performer, the character, you know, thought the most important person in the show was the playwright, but then after that it was the performers. And they allowed the performers to shine. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, sort of so, a, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say to the to the elaborateness. Um, it's it is um, it's interesting because in a sense, um, this is the what the period we're discussing right now is a, a period in in um, as I identify. Um, in the book, I call it growing pains or identity crisis. And it's sort of, it's fascinating that um, I think many people, and perhaps at the time, I, I can't speak to the state of mind at the time, but think that this is sort of, you know, with the, the mega musical is born and things are growing and it is this new spectacle. And right. yet actually it's really a throwback to 70 years earlier. Yes. When, you know, they're, you know, uh, uh, Claw and Erlinger are importing London spectacles um, and they have to rebuild the whole stage to, to fit right. them. So it's just, you know, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. It's like this, it's sort of a, a, a further extension of this nostalgia era mixed with the high concept uh, right. physical production that's manifesting itself. 
anyway, just inter- I mean, that's all a theoretical thought. Well, but, no, uh, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, you see the cycle in the art form, you know, it goes from simple to complicated till someone says, oh, you know, it'd be better if we just kept it simple and they keep it simple and then it gets bigger again. And like someone says, oh, we should keep it simple. And it, the same thing happens over and over yeah, again. Yeah. If you look at uh, Broadway shows, I mean, that's the story of Broadway and probably, uh, mo- you know, film too. Um, but there's two other ones. So there's, no, there's one other one. We, we talked about Audra, we talked about Grind and uh, the drawing that we have in the exhibition from Grind. If you look at no other drawing in the show, uh, Lilani Jones and Grind is, is one of the great drawings of this exhibition. Um, great Friday drawing. And only, the only person who could do it is Hirschfeld. Um, the last thing I want, the last show I want to talk about is Mama, I Want to Sing, which is the longest running off-Broadway show, a black off-Broadway show in the history of the theater. Um, I don't think anybody was rushing with a Pulitzer Prize for the script. I don't think it's necessarily a great show, but it's a popular show. You know, it, it struck a chord with audiences played for eight or nine years uh, uptown uh, mm-hmm. in Harlem, um, and then toured this country, I, toured, the, toured Europe and Asia. Millions of dollars for its creator slash performer yeah. slash producer. Right. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting piece. I, I, um, I, have, I didn't see it and I haven't uh, read it uh i've heard some of it um and i've seen uh, um I've, I've seen little bits of it uh it, i i just find it an interesting production it's not something that i uh point to specifically um right but and i think it's a, it was a very uh specific and um unique uh, unique uh, um, a, a specific piece with a specific audience and, and a specific time um, and I guess it, it's, uh, I'm curious to learn the whole story about it because I, I, I feel like I don't know the whole story, but the, as I understand it, uh, and, and, and certainly what I've read about it, it started out at Amas Musical Theater, mm-hmm. um, in actually 1980 and only, I think only made it into a couple performances cause then it was shut down cause there was a dispute over, uh, future royalties and, and, uh, uh, who was involved, and so I, I, from a um, uh, from a production standpoint, I, I just I find it curious because then it pops up three years later with uh, the same central person who is a performer, uh, producer yeah. with her husband, and author with her husband, right. uh, and yet the composer has changed, and the music <laughs> team has changed. So it's like it's one of those things where I'm like I'm a little I'm a little skeptical to know what the full story is. Yeah. Um, but I don't, so I don't. You know, I can't. Obviously, I can't. Um, I can't speak to it definitively. But I'm. It just. It's a curious piece, and and you know, it it. Uh, they made a sequel out of it. They made a, a another oh, show called Let the Music. Oh, yeah, yeah there was, was three. Was, I think there's three. There's three. It's three of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let the music. Uh, let the music play gospel is the third one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other thing that's really curious about it, which to me, which is part of the reason that I'm just sort of skeptical about the entry as well, is it was apparently playing in um, a a uh, city-owned theater that was va- had been vacant that was meant for non not-for-profit productions. Mm. Uh, and so then 
the city wanted to either wanted them out or there was some dispute with the city, you know, five years into the run. Right. Which they ultimately won, as I understand it. Uh, and then the, the city appealed. And so the, the, the show closes while it, you know, it was, I guess, still running. I assume healthily. I, again, I don't, I don't, right. I can't speak to the full story, but um, I, I assume it was, they were running uh, until 1991 when they closed. Uh, and they closed because they, again, because of the dispute. Um, right. But what's interesting is the, just the dynamics of the dispute, because the, in, a, in an op-ed or a letter from the city, they're saying that, that the, this woman who's, enterprise it is multi-million yeah, right it's become a multi-million dollar enterprise that is operating on a lease that they had from 1983 for this what is supposed to be a non-profit theater yeah uh i guess the theater is purporting that she had not paid rent since 1988 wow. uh and then they in fact so they they and they offered her a deal too to extend the lease and to work out an arrangement for rent if there was but she rejected the deal is, yeah. is again, this is, uh, I have not uh, um, taken a dive deeper into it than what has been published about it. So but please it, don't sue us. Sort of, <laughs> say it again. Please don't sue us. You know, don't sue, if, right, by yeah, Hickinson, exactly. if you're listening, please don't sue us. That's the disclaimer. Yes. You, you <laughs> know, so, um, I, I'm curious to know what the full, what the full story is, but so, you know, it's a, it was, um, it, it, it's, I think it's an interesting piece. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, uh, I'm always hesitant to say to to do declarative longest running statements yes. or first statements because you can always there's always the question of will you be disproven. So I don't. I, uh, yeah, no, that's but, true. Um, well, uh, you know, it's it 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 existed and they apparently did very well in their uptown theater. Um, you know, it, it yeah. was with the audience to whom they marketed. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, what's the black uh, uh, theater, or certainly musical theater, uh, coming down the road, or performers or composers we should be thinking about? You know, uh, what what are the sh what are the shows that would fit into this criteria that uh, we haven't heard about, or you know, we'll be talking about twenty years from now? Shows meaning in process or, or recent well, shows, 20, shows, you know, shows or performers shows. that you think uh, audiences should know about. It, maybe oh, there's goodness. none. Maybe you don't know. I'm not. I'm not. No. Maybe you don't have. I think there. What you? If you don't have a crystal ball, then you know we've been lied to. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, no. There are there are many. I think most. I I will say. Unfortunately, I'm not familiar with his work. Uh, but I know a lot of folks are uh, very supportive and enjoy uh, Michael Jackson's work. Oh yeah, um, sure. Uh, there's a the a other Michael Jackson. Mace. Say it again. The other Michael Jackson. The other Michael Jackson, <laughs> correct. The one that is still living. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, and has no charges of pedophilia against him. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, uh, Kirsten Childs. Uh, I, I'm not sure what she's working on right now. I know she has a couple projects that she had told me she's working on. Um, mm. I have been off the news radar actually for the last several months. So something may have Haven't popped we up all? about them, <laughs> Right, so I'm, I'm not, I don't know. Um, but I think there, you know, there are a number of, uh, a number of individuals. I, I would be curious to see a new Stu musical, frankly. Right. Um, okay. But I know Lynn Nottage is working on, 
I think she's working on another piece. Yes, yes. In fact, um, uh, she's working on a piece with um, Susan Birkenhead, who is is not no. uh, black. We should point out. Um, and they did Secret Life of Bees together. But there's another project they're working on. I believe with George C. Wolfe. Um, oh wow! But, and of course, uh, her intimate apparel has been turned into sort of a mini opera. And right? Is that Ricky open... and Gordon? Yes, or, Ricky yeah, and Gordon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who's not black? <laughs> Who's not black? Right. <laughs> and, the and speaking show. of not black, I, Susan Birkenhead is basically black because she basically had, I mean, her repertoire is so. Uh, I think I have some shirts that are basically black. <laughs> basically, right? Uh, no, but I, I, I love Susan Birkenhead's lyrics. I think she's a terrific lyric writer, and yeah. she happens to have written a number of, um, of, of uh, musicals about black subject matter. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think there are a number of, you know, a number of uh, people and a number of interesting uh, projects toward which I'm, I'm looking forward and, and uh, hopeful to, to see, you know, as right. I'm, and I'm sure many that I don't even know about right now, but just, you know, you know I mean, musicals in, in, uh, in progress. Right. Um, right. So it'll be interesting to see what, what comes out. Sure. Well, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you think we should touch on? Anything we didn't touch on. I mean, well, there's so much. Um, right, right. But I mean, just but in the world. We've been talking for about two hours now, so I've. Been I know. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I know. Just I, I would. Uh, I always just mention Bob Cole because I refer to him as the father of black musical theater. But he, he, yeah. his career ended uh, tragically. In fact, before uh, Al Hirschfeld would have been working, right. unfortunately. Right. So much of that early black theater history was not recorded by Hirschfeld because he simply was not doing this work then. Mm. It's not till 26, December 26, that he first starts drawing the theater. Interesting. Um, well, this has been great, Ben. We really, really appreciate you uh, coming by and, and telling us more than we knew before. Please, you know, you have you. a real knowledge um, where what, what we know about Hirschfeld is kind of what you know about the American musical. Um, and that's great for us. You know, that's, that's what we're interested in. And I like to think that anybody who's listening is interested in. Um, so your book is called The American Musical? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And that's American being musical. published by Rutledge in, 19, in 2022? Correct, 2022. Um, very excited, very excited. And it will be about the... The, the form itself, encompassing all, you know, writers of all shades, as it Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then what about, do you have any, um, I know that you have created a number of stage shows um, yeah. drawing on the history of uh, the musical theater. Do you have any of those coming up or working on a new one? I do one not, or? no. The, the most immediate things for me are uh, the book, which I'm in the midst of writing, Sure. Uh, and then I'm very excited next year. This is not a stage show, but it is, um, obviously it's theater related. Uh, there is going to be opening a museum of Broadway, oh, which sure. will be in uh, the Times Square area. Um, and uh, unfortunately I, we, I can't, uh, reveal any more than that. Oh no, we've been working um, with them too. We've, uh, yes, they, yes, they approached yes. us. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wonderful people involved. Uh, Terrific. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited, excited about, about that. the concept. It is not going to be your grandmother's museum of Broadway. 
No, it'd be very, very cool. They have, I mean, the, the, the immersive element has been, has been revealed, I think. So that's not yeah. a, so yeah, it'll be more of a, a an immersive uh, guided experience. But right. I, I guess one of the things I'm excited about is that it sort of marries the, the commercial immersive element with the uh, historical content right. element. So, which is, and I'm, I'm working more on the latter part of that. Um, so sure. it's, it's, I'm, I'm excited about that. So I think it's, it's, it'll be, should be a really, um, excellent, uh, um, venture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they seem like they were getting close to, you know, getting all the, the things lined up. And then of course the pandemic hit. So we don't know when we'll ever be able to go back out and be with other people. I um, know. Hopefully soon. And hopefully yeah. it won't affect uh, the timeline too much. Yeah. So. It becomes part of the timeline. <laughs> You know, oh, the, the year indeed. we didn't have Broadway. 